0: Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you,
1: and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data.
2: Go on, Google Trends! Type in your name, then type in mine! You're a straight line! I'm a pyramid!
1: I
0: like the very direct question on that. Television ratings... Downward spiral.
2: Fire rates
1: plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around.
0: Welcome to another edition of Pollock and Thurston. Brandon never gets tired
2: of that intro. It's, it's, it's a wonderful one, isn't it? No. The graphics I, really put that one over the top, I think. I, I, I think I've been meaning to tell you. I think you jump in just before the music is, is over with, and no one can hear you quite yet. I'm aware of this, and I've been
0: trying <laughs> for the last three weeks to be getting my timing down, because I think there is some, uh because sometimes I've noticed, like, there's a gap between it ending and when I talk. So this is my internal battle that we will, uh that we you we you see yourself back on the screen. Give me a, give me six to eight weeks. We'll, we'll have this one okay. down. Also credit to Streamyard who you notice on the video clips, it does not default to loop, whereas background music, it is, it is set to default to loop. Yes. Yes. Anyway, these are these are all stream, the things that struggles. people tuned in today to hear all about the uh, the machinations uh, behind uh, StreamYard. But how are you doing, Brandon? How are things in Buffalo? Are you in? Are you due for snow like we are in Toronto on Thursday? I haven't
2: heard. I haven't heard the the snow rumors yet. Um, We're getting fifteen centimeters on Thursday if they are accurate. Wow, well, that's a lot of centimeters. That that's a few inches at least. I think.
0: Yes. Yes. This is the the Canadian American divide that you get on the show.
2: We have a lot of uh, news
0: that we're going to be getting into. If you want to send in any super chats, you're welcome to do so. But we have a very special guest that's joining us right off the top as we are going to be uh, continuing our look into the various allegations against Vince McMahon, against John Laurinaitis, against the WWE. And uh, this individual has been at the forefront of a lot of the reporting over at Vice News. Real pleasure to be joined by Tim Marchman, who's with us. And Tim, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us about it. You have been doing some outstanding work over at Vice and you were definitely someone Brandon and I wanted to have on the show to talk about.
1: I really appreciate that. And thanks for having me.
0: As we go back, it it almost feels like it's been ages at this point, but it's only been a couple of weeks since the Janelle Grant lawsuit uh, dropped. And just starting from that beginning point of this uh, this latest uh, investigation into WWE and Vince McMahon, I mean, reading that lawsuit for the first time, Tim, I mean, how different was your reaction to that versus the Wall Street reporting that came out in 2022 versus Vince McMahon that this one has taken... To me, a lot more of a it's just had that much more weight that I feel it it is carried with people versus in 2022, where you still did see, I think, a lot of Vince McMahon defenders in this one. It it has been a lot more, I would say, cut and dry when you're getting into such gritty details as the lawsuit outlined.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a couple of things. First off, um, the allegations are so graphic and extreme and they're very credible. The text messages in the suit, for instance, um, McMahon and TKO, no one has really disputed. Those are, those are real and they significantly buttress the credibility of the story. And aside from those things, the lawsuit goes into so much detail about people who would have been aware there was something inappropriate going on, even if they didn't know every detail, um, that it makes clear that this appears to have been known and tolerated within WWE, which raises a lot of questions about the company, as well as the fact that there's a specific allegation of, um, of, of trafficking, which is something I cover. And it's, you know, it's a word people throw around a lot and in a lot of different contexts, it means a lot of different things. But in this context, um, you know, you're talking about what is alleged to be, a uh, a commercial sex act um using uh force fraud or coercion, like pretty, pretty cut and dry. If, if what, if what she says happened, happened, it, it meets that definition. And, you know, it's not really a surprise that now we've given that, that now we've learned there is a, a serious federal criminal investigation into that, which, um you know, is, is not good news for, for Vince McMahon.
2: Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Tim. I was just wondering if you could, Tell us a little bit about how you ended up covering this for Vice. It's, it's something that I've been thinking about, at least, you know, over the last few days or so, is just how much uh, mainstream attention this is getting in some areas versus others. And, and obviously, Vice News is a is sort of a, a, a general news outlet.
1: Yeah. So um, over the last several years, along with my colleague, Anna Merlin, I've been covering uh, the anti-trafficking industry. And in particular, we've done a big series of stories over the last several years on Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, that's the anti-trafficking group previously headed by Tim Ballard, um, who was the, the big box office hit from last year. Sound of Freedom was made about, we started looking into that group because we thought some of their stories just didn't add up. Um, they presented this image of like paramilitary heroes jumping into countries in the developing world and personally liberating sex slaves and making all these claims about their work with domestic law enforcement agencies that, um, you know, just didn't turn out to be, to be true. Um, and at this point Ballard is now being sued by a number of women and in being investigated in a number of jurisdictions over, um, sex trafficking claims against him. It's, it's a really complicated story, but, it has some. It has some parallels to the allegations in the WWE case because you have this charismatic founder who's, um, you know, accused of trafficking women who are reporting to him. So when I saw, the, I'm a long time wrestling fan, um, you know, I could have guessed. I'm pretty familiar with uh, the general background of, you know, McMahon's alleged behavior over the years. Uh, so one of my colleagues, Manisha Krishnan wrote our initial story on the suit, but having some familiarity with wrestling and with trafficking, um, it felt like, you know, just hopping in and seeing if there was some stuff to cover and, you know, it's turned out there's, you know, we've been able to get some new information out, which is, which is good. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big, complicated, messy story. And if you can get some new stuff out and add to people's understanding of it, uh, you know, I think. That's that's good. That's our job.
0: Last week, um, we we had David Bixenspan on the show and he was mentioning the fact that back in twenty seventeen that the New York Times was attempting to put out a like an investigative piece into Vince McMahon. But one of the issues that a lot of the women that were speaking with New York Times representatives were was the fact that they just didn't quite understand the industry, the ins and outs of it, that someone such as yourself like that has to be, you know, this thing that we don't typically look at as a big detail, but hearing something like that, it's a huge thing when it comes to the trust of an industry that really does not have a healthy amount of trust in, it's a very paranoid industry. I'm just curious as you're reaching out, if you're sensing that like there's still kind of that back against the wall mentality when it comes to speaking out, or if it's still or if people are sort of making an inroads towards uh voicing their concerns and their own personal experiences with someone that has a better understanding of the industry
1: yeah, so there's there's a couple of elements to that one is um in talking to some people, I've definitely found that the fact that I have some familiarity with wrestling is helpful, and i don't you know I don't think I'm an expert because I read the wrestling observer or anything like that, but I think there's a baseline of you know if they're trying to explain something complicated and you can make clear that, Oh, I kind of, you know, I understand what you're talking about there. That can make someone, uh, you know, that can make someone more comfortable or they can be speaking about something that if you didn't have some familiarity with it, you wouldn't understand the significance of. So I think it does help as in any field. If you, um, you know, if you know the context of, of where information exists, that can, you know, that can help you. Um, I think from the people I've talked to and people who've chosen not to talk to me in some cases, I, you know, I think there's still, you know, still a lot of, a lot of fear of retaliation um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of concern that, you know, WWE is still largely, you know, it's still run by people who Vince McMahon Put in place, even if not at the very top levels, at the at the at the levels below that. Um, and my sense is also that there's a lot of concern about fans. Um, everything from you have, you know, like something like with hap- what happened with Sonia Deville, where she had someone actually break into her house, to you know just how toxic social media can be. I think if you're someone on the inside who has knowledge of this. That's a, you know, it's a, it's a very, very, very difficult decision to come forward knowing you're going to have people mad about it and mad at, mad at you and you might be putting yourself um, at some risk of harm. I think in, in this, you know, even, even broadening it away from just WWE, there's, um, you know, you see that in lots of industries. You saw that in the, in the Weinstein reporting when there were lots of, uh, you know, very, very famous Powerful actresses who feared professional retaliation, um, you know, they feared attacks on their credibility and, and all sorts of different things and with good reason. And, you know, it's, it's definitely not as easy for people as, hey, this information is coming out. So now I, I want to speak out about, about this, you know, in some cases it might be, um, people don't want to be defined by something bad that happened to them. Like that's a totally understandable motto. They don't want to deal with these other things I'm talking about. I have a sense of that people are thinking really seriously about these things. And one reason I pretty strongly suspect that we're not seeing a kind of, um, flood of, of tabloid style details is that we're, we're talking about really serious crimes here. If you're someone either, If you're someone who was behind an NDA, you know, we know the feds are talking to them and probably telling them, you know, we're not going to put a gag on you, but it would probably be for the best if you kept this confidential for now, not to compromise our investigation. Or if you're someone who hasn't signed an NDA, you may well be talking to a lawyer. Again, um, same situation. And if you're a witness, you're talking about, um, you know, possibly being a witness to federal crimes. Those are all um, those are all cases where aside from any of the other factors, it's, you know, even if, even if reporters in the public don't, don't like it, it's probably, you know, the best thing to do is not talk, you know, in public right now about it. You, you mentioned that if any of the other
2: women who are under NDAs, they, they may be talking to to the the feds and they may not want those stories out right now. I, I was wondering, what you think is behind then Janelle Grant coming out with her lawsuit. I, maybe it's just the issue of, you know, allegedly been stopped paying. So, so mm-hmm. she's, she's suing him. So why um, is that one different? You think?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, um, I don't, I don't want to be too speculative here. I want to go by what's in the suit and what we know about, um, you know, the, the lawyers involved in the suit. So one of the interesting so first off, there is the factor that, um, she had a contractual agreement with McMahon that she says he didn't hold up his end of. So there are, there are real damages there. She's alleging that she's not able to work because of the, um, you know, the trauma she suffered and, and the post-traumatic stress disorder that she's currently suffering from. So if she's not, you know, she didn't get money she was counting on getting, um, she's seeking damages to have money to live money that she uh, was counting on and that she's not getting. So, you know, that's a, that's a big incentive to, to, to sue, but also a lot of the lawsuit is concerned with um, voiding the NDA, not just on the grounds that it's that uh, the contract wasn't fulfilled, but also that the language in the NDA was, was too broad and not specific enough to, Legally hold now. When you put that together with the fact that uh, Ann Callis, the the lead attorney here, has a back background in class action, and that she has spoken about hearing from, you know, other other people, um, my guess is that part of the strategy here is to broaden the suit. Um, whether that means other. People bringing lawsuits or other people joining this lawsuit; those are those are both, to the best of my knowledge, be avenues that are available to them. And I guess that um, this is going this is going to get uh, bigger. This this suit.
0: When it comes to uh, Edward Brennan, who's the attorney for John Laurinaitis, and covering cases like this, uh, Tim, is this sort of out of the norm for a defendant's attorney to be kind of a- as public as he has as we're talking about you know a lot of figures in this that are keeping a relatively low profile mm-hmm. Edward Brennan seems to be someone that at least is, is getting his client's message out there in a pretty clear way throughout this uh reporting that you've been conducting over the last few weeks
1: I don't know I don't know that it's that unusual I mean he's advocate you know he's advocating for his client and he's getting asked questions and he's given answers. I, I appreciate it. Even as I understand why, uh, you know, other lawyers don't even return emails. I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to, to do that. And, you know, he hasn't said a lot about what his strategy is here. I know a lot of people are drawing the inference from that, that he's seeking to, to flip on Vince McMahon, or he's looking for a plea deal. I don't know that any of that's true. I, you know, I, I, I take it very much at face value. Um, you know, I and some other reporters have asked him questions, and and he's answering them. Uh, That's good, and I assume he's doing it because he thinks it serves his clients' uh, best interests.
2: You you mentioned earlier the the reaction that maybe some some women may fear that they they would face if they went went public with some of their experiences with with WWE. I I think one thing that's that's getting lost in this story to WWE's benefit is that this is – more than just a Vince McMahon story or more than just just mm-hmm. about allegations against against John Warren Ice, and Vince, but that it's part of what's alleged in the Janelle Grant lawsuit is that there were a number of executives who had knowledge of, of, of at least a relationship between Grant and, and Vince, but didn't have something to intervene. Um, so, I mean, this lawsuit has been out for almost three weeks now, which means the defendants are almost due to, to have some sort of response. Uh, but what, what have you th- thought about how WB has handled it to this point? in terms of publicly commenting or not commenting? I'm sure you've reached out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've reached out to them for everything I've written that has to do with them, which I think is every story I've written. Um, They have projected a clear belief that this is in the past. These are things that did happen before, uh, you know, before TKO took over and that uh, Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis are gone. Um, and you know, there are things they don't know about because the people currently in charge weren't there. Um, and there are things they can't really say much about because the people who are accused of them aren't there. Um, I'm not a public relations critic, so I don't really have too much to say about whether that's a good or bad strategy. I will compliment them for being I think they've been fairly, I think they've been fairly open. They've certainly been responsive, um, when they're asked questions. I do, I do think that substantively WWE is a defendant here. What's brought up in, what's brought up in the lawsuit certainly suggests that it's more than simply a matter of, um, you know, two executives kind of run amok and doing things. Secretly in ways that didn't impinge on a broad stratum of, of upper leadership that would have at least, you know, at, at face value, taking everything in the lawsuit, at the very least, several top, top executives would have known that Vince McMahon had an unqualified person who was his girlfriend who he brought in and gave a fake job to. And, um, for that kind of behavior to just be open and tolerated in sort of routine business, um, you know, it obviously suggests <laughs> unflattering things about how WWE is run and there are, you know, it would certainly be reasonable, um, you know, to ask questions about darker things going on where there are other executives who are having inappropriate relationships with subordinates, um, Was knowledge of this limited just to the idea that this was Vince's girlfriend, things like that? I'm certainly not accusing anybody of anything. I'm saying those are those are unanswered questions as of this point um, that, you know, obviously people want answers to. And hopefully in the process of this litigation, we will get answers to. So
2: in my understanding, right, you like you're, you're saying part of the response you're getting from WB is that there's different leadership in charge now versus when these incidents are alleged to have happened, which I believe is running from 20, 2019 through early 2022. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the top two executives in WWE right now are Nick Khan and Paul Vec, who were, who were there for at least part, if not all, of that time. Nick started in, I believe, August 2020, and Paul's been there for 25 years.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it's, it's, it's totally fair for them to say, hey, Vince McMahon uh, isn't here anymore. And, you know, the, the ultimate top people at, uh, TKO was at TKO. Yeah. TKO weren't, you know, weren't here at the same time. It's like, come on, especially because obviously a central, so there's two things. One central part of this is the whole process of WWE becoming part of TKO. And we know that at the least they knew it was in the wall street journal. And we know that, you know, some of these executives knew more than that. We don't know, how much they knew of what was in the suit, but we know they they knew more than they were reading in the paper. Um, they knew enough to list McMahon as a risk in SEC filings and all that. Um, yeah, and, and I'm sure so they did there diligence are
2: diligence when they were exploring the the notion of a merger. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's even stated in some of the the filings that they put out there. Uh, yeah, information about the the merger deal.
1: Company. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the bigger questions here um have to do with that, and it's a question of definitely put to them. is like. You know, you put together this $21 billion deal, knowing all these NDAs were out there, knowing that you were kind of buying a box of radioactive material. <laughs> now the radioactive material has gone off. <laughs> like, what kind of investigation did you do prior to that? What kind of due diligence did you do before that? I haven't gotten a good answer to that, but it remains a question I have, and that I imagine probably some shareholders have is, we know there was this big investigation in the NDAs. What kind of broader investigation was there into McMahon's behavior? Because, you know, if you have somebody who has all these NDAs for inappropriate behavior with women, you can presume there may be women who want to bring forth those allegations and haven't signed NDAs. You know, was there, a, was there an investigation into his broader pattern of behavior going back all this time? So that's kind of one set of questions. And then there's another, there's another set of questions that I class with those because they both have to do with potential... Liabilities here, and, and what kind of diligence was done to them, which is that. So we reported on the previously unpublished portion of the Ashley Madar- Massaro affidavit, and um, basically the significance of this is that in preparing a sworn in preparing a sworn affidavit as part of a concussion lawsuit in 2017, Ashley Massaro, who was a WWE wrestler, had material. Which um, was not ultimately part of the affidavit, but, um, it, you know, was something she she was prepared to submit to the court as a sworn affidavit, um, you know, under penalty of perjury, saying that there was a casting couch scheme that she had been retaliated against for refusing McMahon's sexual advances and specifically that she had seen him making out with female wrestlers in the locker room. Um, so those are allegations, but they are, they are serious ones and they're ones, you know, that she was prepared to swear to. So that opens to me this whole other box that is, um, kind of adjacent to, but distinct from the grant lawsuit, which is, um, is this true that, that, you know, Vince McMahon was sexually preying on, um, you know, on wrestlers. On people who work for WWE and if so, you know, what kind of potential liability is that open? Um, how much has that been investigated internally? Those are, you know, those are questions I don't have good answers to. I've been asking them um, and I'm sure a lot of other people have as well because um, you know, that there's, there's a lot of potential plaintiffs there.
0: And, as you uncovered an, an NCIS investigation that was launched uh, right after Basaro's death in 2019, that yeah. wrapped up four years ago that we are just now learning of and, and not knowing what the findings were as well. Like that, that certainly is of, of great, um, interest. I, I would say sort of what was this six month investigation and what was found and, if not for this story resurfacing, would anyone have even heard about this investigation?
1: Yeah, and there, so there are a couple of interesting things about that. So one is, when I found out about that investigation, NCIS said that they could only release more information under about it under FOIA. That has a 20... They have a 20-day response time on that. I did file, and I'm sure many other journalists have as well, um, asking for any files and associated documents, like how it came across their desk that sort of thing. So that has a 20-day turnaround time, so we should be getting... Hopefully, we'll be getting something on that in a couple of weeks. Ask for expedited processing because it's a subject of intense public interest. If, um, if we're lucky, in a couple of weeks, they'll release all the documents they have on that. Or they could, in a couple of weeks, just say, hey, we're still looking into it, and it can be years until anything about that comes out. But even from what we know, there is something interesting, which is that... And WWE's initial denials that management had been aware of this, which are contradicted by John Laurinaitis and his uh, contradictions are corroborated by other evidence. Um, they said that if they'd been aware of this, they would have referred it to the base commander. The incident happened in 2006. The only investigation we're aware of um, started the month after Massaro died. So this is just an inference, but I think it's fair to infer that uh, military investigators um, became aware of the affidavit, possibly due to publicity, and then they decided to look into it. So it was a six month investigation. It's possible that it might confirm her story. It's possible it might refute her story. It's possible they might say too much time had passed and we couldn't really investigate it. We don't know, but we do know that it started 13 years after the alleged incident that WWE management was aware and that despite what they said, it doesn't appear they reported the, uh, the investigation. So, you know, there's probably not any legal consequences attaching to that or anything, but um, it would be very good to know who those people were, who precisely were aware of it and would have been responsible for reporting it. Because I don't think it's great to say that if we had been aware of this alleged rape, we would have reported it and for it to turn out, that you were aware of it and that you didn't report it, if that makes sense.
2: And, and just, just so people are aware, the, the NCIS is, is not, a, uh, it's not a crime drama, but the, the Naval uh, <laughs> investigation.
1: Uh, yeah. Investigation. And so the reason the reason they're looking into, into it specifically is that Masaro alleged that she, she became dehydrated and she was taken to a medical clinic at a military facility and that there uh, someone who represented himself as an army doctor assaulted her. So I know in the past there had been reporters who had, um, they had filed FOIAs with the army. Um, but in, but in my digging around, it became clear that she had, um, she had been taken to a clinic that was staffed specifically by Navy personnel. So the jurisdiction for that follows to NCIS. Um, and God knows who we may get some kind of terrible procedural drama about that. I don't even know if that shows still in the air. Maybe it went off 20 years ago, but, um, you know, yeah, they they, they looked into it.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to the, the comment you made about a lot of the the women and one of their concerns being fans out there as well. And I think that is an aspect to all of this, that if you are someone that has undergone, uh, you know, harassment of any degree, and you're just looking at so much of this came out two years ago. And here this individual in Vince McMahon is met with a, a hero's embrace walking out on television days Mm -hmm. later. And there was so, it's like we look at this Janelle Grant lawsuit and how much is on the victim to just disclose the most horrific of details, attaching a name, attaching a face, making this a real person that this all happened to. And it just seems there's such a burden on these victims to have to like leave the, the skeptic there with no other alternative, but to give them credence to these allegations. I completely understand why th- these women out there would be like, who would want to take this on beyond just having a be- belief that they're doing the right thing. Like there's just so much that I, I I, I don't think I could like accurately um, s- sway someone in that decision if they were on the fence about it
1: yeah it's 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 tough especially because um you know the question is kind of what's the ultimate benefit of that if it's to prove that vince mcmahon is a bad person um the allegations are out there and people are going to believe them or not like you're not really like he has been accused of behavior that's so extreme there's really not too much more i don't think you could do to further um blacken his reputation the there there are many motivations someone might have for coming forward or not coming forward and all of them are good and acceptable it's not on you know survivors of of, of sexual misconduct or violence to do anything in particular other than what um, you know is best for them and their and their families and everyone has a different situation um, but I do think that there probably is, value in some of the stories that people have to tell that wouldn't just be corroborative of the sort of thing we're talking about already, because the part that's the part that's opaque to us is really about who knew what are those people still there and how did and does WWE work as a system. And that's where I really hope people with knowledge of that can and do come forward through whatever means talking to reporters, engaging you know, are engaging the legal system or or really whatever, just because I do think, I do think those things are inherently important to know about. And I also think that most institutions, when they suffer a kind of reputational hit of the scope of the one WWE has, their instincts are going to be to kind of do damage control and then to Put it in the past, um, and that's understandable. That's not saying anybody in charge of WWE is is doing bad if that's what they're thinking. If they're thinking we just want to move forward, we don't want to dwell on all this this stuff from the past. They have a big business to run. They have a lot of people they're responsible for, and there are doubtless a lot of people in charge who have nothing to do with any of this stuff, and um, you know are concerned about it from that angle. But I really, you know, I really think if you don't examine some of that stuff and bring it out into light, you can't. Uh, correct against it happening again, especially when multiple generations of the people who run wrestling, you know, came up under, came up under McMahon. And even if you're not talking about the kind of extreme behavior alleged in the grant suit, there are still systems in place around like, you know, who gets hired and who gets put into a more advantageous position and and all the rest of it that probably really, really need to be uh, examined and overhauled just to make sure that people who are working for this big company without real labor protections have, you know, fair chances to advance in their careers. Um, Anything else aside.
2: And and, and we now have, I would say, two cases of, of People having their careers negatively impacted because of you know, rejecting uh, sexual advances allegedly by by Vince McMahon. In terms of Ashley Massaro, we have the the seven point five million dollar NDA that the talent who who is uh, who, who agreed to that NDA, uh, alleging that uh, she was coerced into oral sex, and then when she rejected further advances, she was eventually demoted and, and then released. So I think there's there's at least two cases there. I might, might be, you know, le- leaving so- something out that uh, that's related to that too, that of, you know, that man allegedly preying on women. And, and when it didn't work out the way he wanted to, he, he basically punished them.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, and that's, that's serious. And to me, the fact that you have two credible, you know, two credible allegations of that suggests there's probably more. And if you've you know, if you've got all those you've got you know it starts to look like a system it looks like a it looks like a casting couch that's the term i've used to describe this to people um and you know that's that's really that's really disturbing and there's no there's no place for that
0: just as we uh wind things down here tim when we look at the business implications for WWE i mean when we're looking at kind of their, their barometer of good news bad news it centers around their stock that has largely been un- unaffected by all of this news. It comes two days after the announcement of their big deal with Netflix. And the only comment we have got from Netflix is through uh, Bella Bajaria, who was very dismissive. Of, well, I won't say dismissive, but I mean pretty much just left it that Vince is gone in this, you know, leaving people with the conclusion it was a Vince McMahon problem and Vince McMahon is gone. It doesn't seem to be as though there is any of those pressure points that TKO has faced in the wake of this scandal. And it's just power through this. And we we have not seen any um, any any impact of any consequence to th- their core business.
1: No, no, we haven't. And, uh, you know, you all know more about uh, WWE business than I do. But as I understand, it's at this point a pretty, it should be in terms of the stock price. A pretty cruise control business. They've got these big deals locked in for the foreseeable future, and while they're at a business peak right now in terms of audience and revenue and attendance and all these things, you know, if they lose two thirds of their fan base because people are grossed out and you know they start having to book smaller buildings and so on, they're still going to be making money. Just hand that's over. That's definitely this. not happening yet. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of you know the stock price is just a reflection of what investors uh, think its future business is going to be like. And there's every reason to think the future business is going to be good. Um, On the other hand, the sort of, the sort of lawsuit they're now engaged in um, and the potential for, you know, there to be more parties to the lawsuit or more similar lawsuits brought even apart from the criminal investigation is the kind that drips on over over a really long time. And one of the, one of the questions I would really like to have an answer to, um, which I don't, you know, expect anyone's going to get unless an insider decides to leak some proprietary business information. They really shouldn't is what kind of out clauses that people like Netflix has, because, you know, if you have a protracted suit where every day, you know, depraved inner workings of WWE are exposed, um, you know, in court over a period of months, And, you know, it's incurring extreme reputational damage or something. Do they even have out clauses in those contracts? Um, and what would trigger them? Uh, Those are the sorts of questions I'm really curious about because I, you know, this isn't something, this isn't something I know, but I think is a matter of common sense is that if this lawsuit had been filed a week earlier than it was, you know, would Netflix have signed it or would they have signed it in this form? Like, Obviously that's probably, probably not, or they, you know, they probably would have rethought it. Um, you know, that is, so that's all, all that's to say, from what I know, I don't see how this would like seriously affect their core business. Um, unless it did. And that's, I guess it's a little bit of a lame way to put it, but, um, I wouldn't write off. I I really wouldn't write off that possibility. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if things become so exposed, if if cover-ups become exposed or if the knowledge of certain executives is of a sort that would really kind of undermine the image of the company, even more than it already has been, are there partners of theirs who could look for outs? And also what are, you know, what are the potential ramifications there for sponsors, which is obviously really big to WWE and, you know, one of the, talking points from Endeavor, as I understand it, like a logic of putting this putting this uh, deal together was that they were able to increase sponsorship for the UFC. I actually saw in, in one of the Hollywood trade pubs, they gave them credit for uh, bringing in Bud Light as a sponsor for UFC, which I scratched my head at because I, I'm so old, I remember Brock Lesnar talking about how he hated Bud Light. And yes. he, he loves Coors Light like 10 years ago.
0: And then had to apologize right after.
1: Yeah, but the, you know, awesome. the logic of it is, is definitely, hey, we're, we're Endeavor, we're big Hollywood types, we can uh, up the prestige of WWE, we can get more blue chip sponsorship and yada yada yada. <laughs> if, um, if sponsors leave, or if all that just falls apart, how does that affect the kind of underlying logic of, of, of TKO? Um, and, and I think that I think is, is a super on. open question. I think
2: Slim Jim backing out at least for a day I, that that did seem to apply some pressure that resulted in Vince McMahon resigning.
1: Yeah. You know, if your idea is that, Hey, if we bring this together with the UFC and we have these master deal makers in charge, we're going to get uh Tesla to be putting its logo on the mats at WrestleMania. And all of a sudden you're struggling to get Slim Jim to, to stop from fleeing in the face of a sex trafficking investigation. It's, it's not good. So I don't think this, looks to me to, to pose any sort of like existential risk to the company or anything. But I think it's way too easy to just say, Oh, they're past it. And you know, they're just going to move on. Um, this is, you know, this is not the sort of thing anybody wants their brand associated with. And so even if you don't see people leaving um, that's probably going to be one of the interesting stories going forward as well as like what kind of companies that otherwise would have been open to being associated uh, with wwe just don't have any interest now
2: yeah they just made a deal with uh, with with x to do um WWE speed on, on, on that platform. Oh uh,
1: yeah. XC um, X, a, a great brand safe platform that every, every reputable company in America is, is running towards and droves.
2: Linda Acarino has some experience selling advertising with WWE since she, she was at NBC universal before. Um, but I, you know, in, in getting ready to, to talk with you today, I read the, the interview you did on, um, indignity.substack.com. Um, talking about in part, which I I really recommend people read uh, talking in part about the media coverage that this story has gotten. And I I would like to to focus on that a bit. And just, it it seems like a lot of this coverage, it's, it's, it's helpful that Vince McMahon is friends with with Donald Trump in terms of getting this story media coverage, because it's sort of, it gets to be, and I think maybe it almost undermines it. It gets to be sort of an an addendum to all these broader, more, more, you know, consumable um, culture stories around whether it's Donald Trump or, uh, Weinstein or, or Bill Cosby or Jeffrey Epstein. And there's, in, in my view, there's a lot of reticence to cover wrestling seriously in cases like this that really warrant it where sports media it's, it's a little too fake for sports media, even though they do seem, especially in the Nikon era really cover the business story strongly, um, positive stories. Um, but, you know, we've seen ESPN's coverage of this story has been pretty minimal um, and and it, but there have been, there has been wall street journal. There has been been vice news. Um, but I think, I think you, you put it the, the most embarrassing corner of um, sports and entertainment, which is pro wrestling. Uh, nobody really wants to, to get in there when it comes to a serious story about pro wrestling, sometimes, even when we're talking about, you know, allegedly sexual assault and sex trafficking.
1: Yeah, it's um, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a real shame and I think, Outlets should cover this seriously. Now, obviously there's a lot in the world to cover and you can't cover everything. And I understand that, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, WWE isn't all that big a company. And if you're not looking at this because you're looking at, um, you know, some giant company poisoning towns, drinking water, I, I totally get it. But yeah, well, you know, when, when you look at a big, institution like ESPN that certainly has time to do softer coverage of, you know, whether Cody Rhodes wants to finish the story or, you know, what, what kind of punishment Rhea Ripley is going to deal out to her next opponent. I, you know, absolutely. I do think there should be some resources devoted to covering this. It's, um, you know, the question of whether the outcomes are predetermined or not is, is, is pretty irrelevant. It's, it's a sport, um, in every sense, it really matters. And so, you know, places that cover it as you know, a sport or a pseudo sport. This is the biggest story going on in it. And so I, I, I do think it deserves to be covered. And for places that wouldn't necessarily cover it, um you know, it's a it's a very straightforward proposition that this is a big powerful company with an exceptionally vulnerable and many would argue exploited Labor force that's, um, you know, in a position where there are questions about casting couches and sex trafficking and all these different things. And it is also connected up to some of the most powerful cultural institutions in the country. You know, like the, the connection with Donald Trump is not just a matter of him having been at WrestleMania or whatever. Linda McMahon runs a Trump aligned super PAC, she's a former cabinet official. Um, all of all, you know, all the things in the lawsuit had their origination in what was previously the, it was called the Trump park, Stanford, a, you know, Trump developed, um, luxury condo where the McMahons bought one of the first penthouses. There were, there were, you know, some of the first people in there and, you know, Trump has his own ties to different, um people who've been convicted or accused of trafficking. And so political reporters might want to look at all that. But when you look at those kind of ties or, you know, the fact that there are serious questions about like how much of this Ari Emanuel knew before he decided to plunge ahead in the deal, you're really talking about some of the most powerful people in America and Vince McMahon's direct connections to them. And that's not to hold them accountable for his alleged behavior, but it is to say that, Whatever someone makes of wrestling, and I think on its own terms, it deserves serious coverage. Um, you know, this isn't an abstract thing. This is how the the friends, business associates, business partners, some of the most powerful people in the country are treating the people who work for them. And, you know, if you're okay with that, you're okay with that. <laughs> if you're not okay with that, you're not okay with it. But the the biggest thing that sits with me is just there's a lot we don't know about that. And I, you know, I hope we get answers. I'm going to be looking for answers. I know other reporters will be, and I really hope we get them because this, you know, this isn't, this just isn't the sort of thing that should be tolerated in powerful circles or, you know, any circles, but especially not, you know, the ones, the masters of the universe move in, they have control over people's lives. They have control over people's futures. And, um, you know, this is how one of their close associates is apparently behaving.
0: Well, Tim, you have, uh, been very generous with your time. And, uh, this is where I would usually ask, uh, what you're working on. I would imagine you probably can't disclose what you are working on, but I know that everyone that's following this show will be, uh, following uh, your coverage along with your colleagues over at vice. And, uh, we just want to thank you very much for, uh, for taking this, uh, extended time to chat with us and, uh, you know, tremendous reporting on on your behalf. This is all very important stuff, and you're somebody that I, I think a lot of people are leaning on on a real, like, elevated platform that can be uh, drawing a lot of attention to what's a very, very important story.
1: I really appreciate that, and I don't know if I'll ever do another story on this. You know, if there's if, if i if I don't uh, find anything out, then there will not not be anything to share. But I'm certainly going to be. Asking the kind of questions we've discussed here, I know other reporters and really importantly, other you know lawyers will be. And so I guess the one thing I would say is if people are feeling frustrated that it seems like nothing has happened and these things play out, they can play out on a really long time span. Um, just let me take one second to just give an example of that. I was mentioning um, that my colleague Anna Merlin and I covered Operation Underground Railroad for a long time. We got information last I think June corroborated information that Tim Ballard had left Operation Underground Railroad amidst multiple claims to the board of sexual misconduct. And we weren't able to report that until September, just because it took a long time to, you know, nail it down and kind of nail down what had happened and what we were actually talking about. Um, I understand that with something this kind of seismic, People want to know everything. Um, I really do. I really do think the information people want to know is going to come out. And I really do believe that there will be accountability for people who, um, you know, were aware of it or complicit in it or, or, or whatever you want to say, but it, it just takes a while. You're talking about serious, um, serious criminal accusations and uh, a legal process that rightly gives the accused, you know, in both civil and criminal cases, a lot of ways to defend themselves. It's a slow process. It should be a slow process. This isn't something where anybody's just going to take a broom and start pointing at people in WWE headquartered and say, eh, kind of, you must've known about this, hit the bricks. It, it doesn't work like that. And it shouldn't work like that. If, if, if we want serious justice here, we're just going to have to be patient. I don't think there's any danger. Of, <laughs> I don't think there's any danger of, of, of it being forgotten about or the process not going forward. Even as earlier, I was talking about my, my fear is that maybe people will be able to just put it in the past. It's, it's just, it's too, there's too much of it.
0: Do you want to give out any information if, in case there's anybody out there that maybe does want to reach out to you confidentially, is there, um, a direction you would like to give out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Give me one second just to pull up my own signal number because I don't know it offhand. Um, but you can always email me at tim.marchman at vice.com. Or signal me uh, at 267-713-9832. And just to be clear, uh, you know, if you want to reach out, I am not going to ask you what, you know, what are the horrible things you saw or experienced or anything like that? I don't even need to know who you are right off the bat. Um, I think sometimes people have a little, they don't know how that process works. I'm happy to start a conversation by just talking about like, you know, generally, what position you're in, um, how our process works, how we verify information, how we protect sources, what are good ways for you to prevent um, an employer or another party from finding out you're talking to a reporter, things like that, um, can really start from wherever you know, wherever people want to start from. And I can also be direct messaged on Twitter. Uh, I have open DMs. It's uh, at Tim Marchman. So. Yeah. If you're somebody who's thinking about talking or, you know, you're, you're a wrestling fan who remembers an old interview that you think might be relevant, or you just have questions you want to ask about the FOIA process or whatever, reach out to me by any of those means. And I'm always happy to talk.
0: And we'll include that in the, uh, in the show description as well with that information if anybody uh, wants it. But again, thank you so much, Tim. Um, we, we appreciate, uh, all of your time coming on and chatting with us. It's, uh, it's been great to, uh, Discuss with you what's obviously a very, uh, very trying story for a lot of people out there, but super important one, of course.
1: Yeah, appreciate your work as well. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll have me back sometime and we can talk about like AEW booking or something less depressing.
0: Will, will Cody finish the story? That <laughs> will, will Cody finish the story? We'll get to the investigative story. <laughs> story. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. All the best. Thank you, Tim. Take care. All right. Tim Marchman joining us
2: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And, I mean, there has been, you know, in the, in the last week, I would say, Brandon, there has been, you know, some some reaction that we have seen from various individuals around Vince McMahon. Um, Bruce Pritchard did Sammy addressed this on his podcast i mean basically addressing it by stating he can't address it yes he did um for legal reasons for legal reasons he said that uh i'm not at liberty to discuss any legal matters with the company whatsoever and there can't be a response from a legal standpoint as you can ask till you're blue in the face that's going to be your answer i'm not involved i'm not being sued i'm not accused of anything and it's a legal matter so that that is it he said that uh if you work at a large company and your large company is being sued, then there's very little that you can say about it. And if you do, that's a good way for you to lose your job.
2: Yes. Um, has, so this is why he can't answer. You did, did, did Vince, you know, text you or call you uh, to give you suggestions about creative uh, between July, 2022 and January, 2023. Um, is he texting you now and, and calling you now about creative and giving you suggestions about what we should do with, with creative, even though he's resigned from the company? That's for legal reasons. He can't answer that.
0: No, until he's blue in the face, which is quite the ability for someone to both be able to be blue in the face and red in the face. Yes. as <laughs> Pritchard has been able to do throughout his career. So yes. um, beyond that, I mean, I would say the most, um, most significant name out there in terms of somebody, you know, within wrestling, I would say Bret Hart came out pretty strong in terms of his condemnation of Vince yeah. McMahon. And even, Apologizing, like he disclosed recently to Rita Chatterton, who he had been not just dismissive, but just like some pretty appalling, you know, depictions of Rita Chatterton in a um, in an old interview, and just stating that he he just never believed that Vince McMahon could have uh, done something like that, and he gave Vince mm-hmm. McMahon he he stated it like reading those text messages that that was Vince McMahon that he was reading those texts and and doesn't have any doubt. Uh, in, in terms of this, and certainly believes Rita Chatterton now, and saw this as the the last vestige of a you know defense that he ever had of v- Vince McMahon. But that it carries a lot of weight when you have someone the level of a Bret Hart that is stating this, as opposed to you know someone that that doesn't have that kind of long term history with Vince McMahon.
2: Yeah, I mean clearly the, the the details that are that are disclosed in the in the grant complaint um, have changed the way people feel about this. Uh, it, it, there were four NDAs that we knew of from four different women. There were a couple allegations on top of that, that were known uh, for years really. Um, and that didn't stop people from thanking Vince McMahon for all the, the great entertainment that, 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 you know, that he provided them. Um, but having these details in, in the level that we do has, has changed some people's sentiments. Um, just to a- add to, to the Bruce Richard notion that he can't talk about it for legal reasons that hasn't stopped Paul Beck from at least feeling questions about it. That hasn't stopped Cody Rhodes a talent, not even an executive from talking about it and taking questions about it. Seth Rollins has talked about it a couple times now. Um, there are plenty of questions that can be asked now, whether or not people want to answer them is another story, they they're at Liberty to, to say or not say what they want. Um, but the notion that you can't talk about anything that would be pertinent to this story, uh, for legal reasons, I don't buy.
0: No, there's plenty that he could state that is not defamatory. That's not impeding an investigation. Um, but I mean, he's, he's not, he is not incentivized to disclose any of that. Um, and I, and I think that's the situation that he's going to, to be in, um, that he's not going to put himself out there. Um, in terms of uh, Tony Khan, he was uh, he was asked a bit about this in an interview with FanSided, and Tony Khan's uh, comment was, "quote I can't comment on the terrible allegations against WWE right now. For us, first and foremost, trying to create a safe locker room environment for everybody, women and men. We have a really, really good bond. I think we have a great locker room, and everyone knows there's a support system there. There's many channels. There's people you can talk to." End quote. So, sort of yes. just a, a general comment on the AEW
2: locker room in contrast. Yeah. And and one thing that I think is important to emphasize when we talk about this story too, is yes, this is not just a Vince McMahon story or John Laurinaitis story. It's a W story, but it's also, this goes beyond W clearly. I mean, there's been stories for years and we can just, just think about the speaking out movement and, and how many stories that disclosed across mainly independent companies. Um, but clearly th- there are, systemic issues and and, and questions that need to be raised towards not just WWE, but all the other companies, including AEW as well. And, you know, we've, we've heard things that we, you know, that that can't be reported because you need victims to be on board with, with disclosing those things. Um, But, you know, there, there are a wide range of, of sexual misconduct problems uh, historically in this business across virtually all wrestling companies. And, you know, we, Tony Khan, Took a lot of questions, took three questions to be exact, uh, after world's end, after that pay-per-view about, you know, rumors that were surrounding Chris Jericho at that time. And, uh, I think we, we said at that time, you you know, we weren't really satisfied with those answers. Um, you know, I would want to know, I mean, for, for one thing, one, one thing he said in the course of responding to those questions was that he has the safest, um, the the safest workplace, right? Um, after you read the Janelle Grant lawsuit that, that sets a pretty low bar, um, and and he was pretty non-specific about what talent would really do. I mean, I would want to ask him you know, if if somebody came to you today and said, you know, look I I'm, I'm dealing with uh, you know, this this sexual harassment problem with so and so, you know, what advice would you give them? And he has pointed a lot to the the discipline committee and I would want to know, you know, who are the members of, of the discipline discipline committee and does it involve does it include anyone who's not working full-time for AEW who who you can truly say is independent and doesn't have any professional or personal relationships with anybody uh who you, who you who supervise.
0: are they what are their experiences in this kind of a uh, field what is their their background uh, of dealing with allegations of, of sexual assault of dealing with uh, you know just the process of going through that um yeah i think that these are the kinds of things that i think this demands extreme scrutiny the benefit of the doubt should be out the window I think across the board, like whether that's fair or unfair to uh, what whatever promotion you want to look at, I think you have to be looking at this um, w- with greater scrutiny in terms of like just take our word for it. Only carries so much weight, and I think specifics are needed. And we are we get so uh, we just are so locked into this industry that has no. No union, no association, and therefore protections for these performers are they're out the window. You are your leverage is in direct relation to your value to a company, but as a of a body of talent, these are not like these are not talent that are all unified that do not have a a third party outlet to go to if they have issues that can sit down at a a bargaining table that can be cut into various you know revenue streams and when we're talking about just the basic core tenets of of health and and a safe work environment like these are all things that i think there can be improvements upon and at least more of a spotlight onto what what are the practices in place and this is an absolute extreme case in Janelle Grant but that does not mean or diminishes other people's experiences in some of these workplaces that w- would not fly any anywhere else and i think like this anyone that is running a company i think should be looking at this as what can we do better and transparency is something completely lacking in
2: the in this industry in these fields a, a lot of it in WB, what we know about w is partially because it is or or was and is now part of a publicly traded company. And there's a certain amount of tra- transparency that the SEC requires because of that. And that's, you know, the financial issue around these NDAs being uh, basically non-recorded company expenses is I, I would have to think through it again. You know, maybe the only reason that we know any of this uh, in the first place, um, if I, if I could go back to, to Bruce Pritchard again f- for one second. It's, it's not as relevant that he talks about this. He is what the the executive producer, yet I don't know what his title is. He's not among the leading executives in WWE. Um, we have heard questions asked to Paul Levesque, a few of them. We've heard nothing from the number one executive, who is Nick Khan, uh, about this. There's been no official statement from WWE. There's been a statement by TKO, but not from WWE itself. Nothing not in from- Las Vegas
0: last week in conjunction yes. with the, the press event that they, they held as well, because... That was the point you yeah. brought up. I mean, this is not just a big event for WWE. It's his hometown, and you would think that, you know, they are strategic when they put Nick Khan out there, and that would have, to me, made sense that that would have been, if all things were equal, a time that you would have Nick Khan out there doing the rounds and,
2: you know, speaking. Yeah, and, and so I don't want to make it sound like we're saying Bruce Pritchard needs to speak about this, but but it would be nice to hear from Nick Khan. Who, and before, before Bruce Pritchard and anybody further down the rankings here, uh, the lead executive needs to be, Ask questions about this.
0: We also have, I mean, last week we dedicated the whole, well, most of the show to the Titan Gate scandal from the early 90s. And Lee Cole, who's the older brother of Tom Cole, who was one of the, I mean, the ring boy in question that was, I think, most closely associated uh, with the scandals in the early 90s. Um, uh, took his life several years ago and Lee Cole he's been he's been running his his channel online and going through a lot of these um a lot of the scandal uh of the early 90s and what was alleged and his own evidence that that he has uh, gathered over the years and he is promoting that he will be doing an interview with an unnamed ring boy who worked for the WWF from 1986 until 1988 and has never spoken publicly before um, there's just like a teaser video up on their YouTube channel. Uh, again, they have not stated who this is, just that they have never spoke publicly before and have not mentioned when this interview will be released. But that is pretty significant, Brandon, that we brought up last week, the idea of does this embolden anyone to come forward? And like, I, I would not be that dismissive of the idea of like a larger federal investigation that is looking at any history of, of accusations of trafficking and child abuse that went on in this company as was alleged and uh, involved the you know the individuals that we, we talked about all the key players last week. But I think that's that's pretty significant if people pay attention to this and a victim coming
2: forward. Right. Yeah, we talked to Vix last week, you know, and, and according to the research that he's done, they've originally, when... When Vince ended up being indicted for the steroid trial, they were originally looking into the Ring Boy scandal, what we what we call the Ring Boy scandal, and mm-hmm. and those events are alleged to have happened late eighties at at the earliest. Or about God, with that one, who knows? Uh, but but in particular, the Ring Boy scandal, a lot of the events and a lot of the people who come forward, things happened to them in the late eighties, early like eighty seven in, in particular with with this person that that Tom Cole is going to talk to. Yeah, he worked there from 86 to 88 is what's listed here. So, I, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're not lawyers. I don't know what the statute of limitations would be if there is any in this case. Um, but the, the reports that we have, I believe, from the Wall Street Journal and and NBC and ABC have all confirmed that the, yes, there is a federal investigation into misconduct, sex trafficking uh, related to Vincent McMahon. And it is in New York. I've, I've emailed, uh, the attorney general a couple of times, have not heard back. Um, and th- those events, at least some of them are alleged to have occurred in New York. The Rita Chatterton alleged rape occurred in New York. Um, so there's reasons why that those, those elements might add up.
0: So we will continue to uh, follow these. Is, is there anything over the, l- the last week, just in regards to the investigations that have, a? Uh... Jumped out at you. I mean, you mentioned in the interview, but this Friday will mark three weeks, or Thursday yes. would be the three week mark since the lawsuit was
2: filed. So, what what does that
0: mean for the defendants?
2: I, I believe it means by Friday we have to hear some sort of response, or it could just get extended. They they could you know ask the judge to extend them out to beyond this Friday. Um, but I believe that means we would we'll hear uh, a response. I don't know if it will be one one. It's probably going to be a motion to dismiss. I would think. Um, I don't know if it'll be just one one lawyer representing all three parties here because we clearly have got John Laurinaitis and Vince McMahon on different. Pages. I don't know
0: if Edward Brennan is representing uh, WWE and Vince McMahon, but <laughs> we'll find out.
2: Yeah, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. And, and, and I, you know, I've really questioned whether WWE and, and Vince McMahon will remain on the same page here. Um, p- people have, have raised the issue about you know whether or not uh, this will end up being settled. And of course, most legal cases. End up being settled, um, and I know people have pointed to comments from Ann Callis and sort of drawing a conclusion from that, saying it doesn't sound like they want to sell because they want to bring in other people. And you know, we just talked to Tim, and he, he made it sound like it, he does get the sense that they want to bring in other people to be a part of this case. Um, I, I have no strong sense of whether or not this will be uh, settled or or how you know open or not open Janelle Grant is to to settling this. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you could definitely see Vince, the, the characteristics that we know about Vince McMahon and, and the fact that he has, you know, no, no full-time job anymore. Um, he might be really opposed to settling, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I would expect them to move to dismiss and at least Vince's side to try to keep this in arbitration. Uh, my, my, my layman view is that it's going to be an uphill battle because of various factors, including... speak speak out act it seems as if if anything is is, if the speak out act is supposed to protect any sort of situation it seems that it applies in this case because this is an nda related to sexual assault um the overly broad language they argue the plaintiffs argue and what else there's other factors as well including i mean she argues that she she was you know coerced to sign this nda and she did so under duress um and there's something else i leaving out. It, I think it will be an uphill battle for this to be dismissed and go into arbitration.
0: Let's move on over to TNA because there's some more news that has come out in the, uh, the wake of a Scott, the firing at the company uh, fightful select had a new report that came out on Tuesday and the outlet stated that it has learned that the, the news was a shock to many, including the roster, uh, but the wheels were in motion for DeMores termination a month prior Demore adamantly did not want to leave TNA, though Anthem had stated they wished to present it as a mutual departure. Demore was insistent that the two sides did not refer to it as his decision to leave or a mutual departure. There were talent who claimed that it was relayed to them that the more stepped down, but that was not the case. Beyond that, Ontario, where Anthem is based, has strict employment laws for employers and not agreeing that the departure was mutual was in the best interest of the more moving forward. There was correspondence between the two sides to aid in the transition to new president Anthony Ciccione into the role. We're told that the more has spoken highly of Ciccione, but was reiterated that he didn't want to leave the role. A couple of weeks after his termination became evident, the more made efforts to buy TNA, which were outright rejected and uh, the rest of that report can be read at fightfulselect.com but does um, sort of give you an indication here of when the offer came from Damore to seem to be like a last-ditch effort was to make the attempt to buy TNA which it seems Anthem was not interested at all. Also added to this is a report from uh, Nick Hausman at House of Wrestling that Ed Nordholm who was um, at one point the president of anthem wrestling exhibitions and i don't know how many different changes that title has gone they they go through a lot of titles and but i mean essentially it was ed nordholm overseeing scott demore and don callis back in 2017 and uh, ed nordholm had been an existing executive at anthem is still an executive at anthem but is now um, according to this report no longer uh working with tna that that will be Anthony Chichoni's domain uh, moving forward, but this is um, a lot of movement on the executive level, and this site is probably getting a
2: lot of updates. With uh, Scott Demore still on it, Scott, still Scott Demore is still listening, still on it. Entertainment. Oh, okay, yes. well, they, um, they haven't updated that yet. So, um, what, what, you do you it? know anything as, a, as as a as a resident of, uh, of Ontario? Do you know anything about what's what might be being referred to here about labor laws in, in Ontario? I would have to speak speak with a lawyer uh, about the the
0: specific advantage i'm I, i'm sure like there's certainly credence to like the difference of this being like a mutual decision to depart as opposed to um scott the more being uh fired which is is what he is um and and just what what that means for him um mov- moving forward as well i mean scott the Moore has not stated anything publicly but i think you can look at this as you know somebody that obviously wanted to stay with the company he was not looking to leave and the the attempt to buy TNA just seemed to be sort of you know his his last ditch effort of of doing something with it and i mean we're we're going to see what cuz TNA is in a position where it's not all that unlike ring of honor a few years ago when Cody's deal was up and the Young Bucks deal was up and you saw Ring of Honor. It's like, are you going to put money into this? Are you going to be competing with AEW or are you just going to be a content creator that fulfills the Sinclair syndication programming? And with TNA, are you out there and actively going to be going for significant free agents like we we know years ago they made an offer to Chris Jericho we know that they I mean they went out and they signed Trinity and at least had her for almost a year we knew that they had interest in CM Punk Okada just came on to the market are they going to be in the market for those talents or are they just going to have you know we're, we're producing content and we're doing it under a certain budget and we're not going above and beyond what it will take to be I will say competing with the level of AEW for free agents. I think WWE
2: is a different stratosphere yeah. um, financially. So we, we take this at face value that a lot of the issues that led to Scott Moore being terminated from impact Anthem, TNA is that it's, it's budgeting issues. So, I mean, I, I would have to conclude from that, that, that TNA is not profitable um, and that they're, they're losing money on this. Um, it is creating content for anthem which owns Axis TV so i think there might might even be like a I, it's it might be a matter of accounting philosophy just what just you know sort of you're not paying any rights fee i would think for this because you're you're just putting it on your tv and you're benefiting from the content which you would otherwise have to pay something to to, to get you know something on Axis tv from 8 to 10 um on thursdays um but i would think that this is not in their view you know, profitable enough anyway so, I mean, is there is there that much of an opportunity for a company at the level of TNA to gain a larger audience and generate more revenue? I would say that the, the opportunity is incremental at best. I would certainly argue that,
0: you know, TNA is in, they're at a level and it's hard to see them getting out to whatever that, that next level w- would be. But if you're looking for any encouraging signs, certainly like this last month was the first time you did see, you know, they drew, I think it was like 1,200 and 1,600 on back-to-back nights in Vegas. They're going back to Vegas in April as well for their their pay-per-view. So they're going back pretty quickly. And from the Observer reporting, like did one of their best numbers in years on pay-per-view as well. So, I mean, we're talking about a great TNA number that would be a fraction of An AEW pay-per-view, but regardless,
2: like for them, um, you were at least. And and this decision comes after that, you know, increase in, in consumer sales here. Yes. So, I mean,
0: the next month or two will be interesting to see because, I mean, the online response, it's, it seems to be very much on, on the side of why did Anthem do this and looking at it as, and I mean, the wrestlers have been almost as vocal. Like you have had a lot of talent that are, how many of these talents were hired directly by Scott the Moore? Of course, there's going to be that loyalty uh t- to many that you know maybe they they came to TNA because of the the creative direction, the the environment there, and and how many are going to have that that same loyalty to uh a company that got rid of this person that was the, the leader for TNA. Yes. So there you have it on the latest on, on the TNA front. I always say like TNA. The business model—it was a behind-the-scenes documentary on a week-to-week basis. I mean, that going back to 2002—that's the—that's the programming of, of TNA. Could you imagine just following like the the behind-the-scenes of, of this? Whole that
2: that uh, Jerry Jarrett's book, I think, it would be a, a good basis for, for the such best of a... times. Yes, yes, it was.
0: All right. Uh some other news to talk about uh before we uh wrap things up here. Rocky Romero is now a member of the AEW front office. Oh man. So New Japan's lost someone else? Nope. He's still working with New Japan. However, that works. So Rocky Romero, who is like become this guy has become like a higher level of Jimmy Hart that just works with everyone and continues to do so. So he's got CMLL Japan commitments. C- Headliner for CMLL,
2: AEW front office. Um, who knows what else? But now he helped. Uh, he helped navigate the uh, what the Carl Anderson and Luke Alice uh, while they were under contract with WB, working with uh, New Japan. That's right. Um, so I, I would
0: be curious what his role is in the AEW front office. I like all we know is front office position. I don't know what that entails. So that remains to be seen. Ratings notes: Did you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday? I did watch the Super Bowl. That went into overtime. This was watched by an average of 123.4 million viewers across CBS, Nickelodeon, Univision, and Paramount Plus. Um, were you one of the five people that
2: streamed this on Paramount Plus? Uh so I had it going on two TVs actually <laughs> in, in the living room. It was on the antenna directly from my CBS affiliate. And then, and then in the bedroom it was on Paramount plus. Yes. Oh, so you were screaming it on Paramount plus.
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. Cause 120 million of this number was on CBS 2.2 million on Univision. So, I mean <laughs> the Paramount plus, I mean, they, uh, I, I don't know what the, the number was for Paramount plus, but it was, it was minuscule in the, in the grand scheme of things, but a, uh, a great night for CBS. So great. That they did a mass round of layoffs like the day after this number came out. So that's, uh, thanks everyone for this record setting number on our network. And, uh, you're fired. Wonderful network to work with, but, uh, we saw this demographic breakdown from sports. Have media seen, watch. We have
2: down ballot
0: here. If, if there's one thing that's going to live on, it's the color scheme of show buzz daily
2: that everyone is going to still, uh, this it's color scheme just, will conditional be... formatting. I, I see. I need to give you a, a tutorial in Excel. This is basically standard Excel uh, conditional formatting here.
0: Is it? Okay. Well, yes. it's, it's show buzz daily formatting for me, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, the biggest gain year over year, women, 18 to 24, huge fans of, um, Roger Goodell, obviously huge Tony factor. Romo, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, yes. The 18 to 24 audience up the highest of anyone, uh, year over year so they had a lot of factors working for them this year this will probably be um, a tough number for any future super bowl uh, to hit with the combination of a an overtime game taylor swift and the juggernaut that is the nfl
2: yes yeah it was a great game uh i uh i watched it i watched usher uh and and all of his friends he had many of them uh just entertain people were you excited when Ludacris showed up uh, I, I I had to have someone identify for me who Ludacris was um but uh yes there was there was uh singing and song and dance
0: which which wrestler had the best uh Super Bowl ad there was uh Steve Jade Austin Cargill was, was in one Steve Austin was in one Jade Cargill and, was in a, was in a Super Bowl ad Jade Cargill was in one with uh Aubrey Plaza it was for Mountain Dew it was for Mountain Dew okay missed it I guess okay wow. yeah Wow. They made such a big deal about it on WWE programming too. Did they? No. I doubt that. There's oh, no okay. mention of it at That's all. an outside project. No, you don't, don't promise. I guess those. so. Um, but I know what you really care about in, in Canada. How did the Super Bowl do? 10 yeah. million viewers in Canada, folks, which is actually, that that's a pretty crazy number. Um, this is on TSN, CTV, and RDS. And they they measured
2: 19. Bigger than the Stanley Cup? Yeah.
0: Um, Yes, I would say this is certainly bigger than the Stanley Cup. It used to be the Grey Cup would outdraw the Super Bowl in Canada, but now it's flipped. The Super Bowl now does well, bigger. But the, the days of Doug Flutie, Flutie, Flutie are behind us, let's be honest. I mean, when Doug Flutie, I mean, that's our that's our connection between the Argos and Bills. It's Doug Flutie. Uh but 19 million unique viewers in Canada, which is half the population. Just kind of nuts right. when you think about that.
2: Google tells me you have 38 million people there. Okay, so they're, they're
0: stretching it. Uh no, not really. Like the, there you go. So 19 million people tuned in. I was not one of them. I was part of the, the other 50%. WWE ratings. Let's talk a bit about those. SmackDown on Friday, 2,578,000 viewers and a.75. So their best figure since August 25th, which was the tribute show for Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. This coming off the press event with, uh, for WrestleMania and probably going to be a number that is uh, dwarfed by this Friday's number. I mean, they have loaded up. SmackDown this week with Rock and Roman Reigns appearing. Logan Paul is wrestling. We'll see how much that matters for his first free match on television, but it would seem that this Friday they are they are gearing up for a big one.
2: Yes. I mean, this was a big rating. Last week's rating was was big, too. Um, but, I mean, what do you attribute this to? I think I attribute it to the hype coming off of the WrestleMania kickoff show and all that discussion and, and what had happened at the end of the episode the prior week with Cody sheepishly walking to the back and letting letting Dwayne have the spotlight um I mean you can say what I want about the Wrestlemania kickoff press conference whatever it was uh being a distraction in Las Vegas to was it a press conference a, I think they called it a press event a press event excuse press me Press um whatever it it you know it, it took attention off of the Vince McMahon story to an extent the WB Vince McMahon story um but look this SmackDown rating is really good and there, there's clearly a lot of interest at least in the, in the story around Cody and, and is he going to finish the story and what's Rock up to and who's Roman Reigns going to wrestle.
0: Rampage did 456,000 viewers and a .14 on Friday night. So this was their largest audience since April, largest demo number since October the 13th and highest 35 to 49 audience since August the 11th. So my thought was, man, this must have had was this some kind of like NBA lead in of some sort? It seemed like they didn't have any big lead in before this, so I, I found this to be a fairly stunning number that this rampage did this level of audience. But rampage is a there's some weeks it just. I mean, we're talking we're not talking the craziest fluctuations here of numbers, but it sometimes really is a crapshoot of what garners attention on a Friday night for rampage and and what does not. But this was a big show by by rampage
2: standards. They did have Mystico on the show. Am I right about that? Mystico wrestled Matt Seidel on the show. Yeah, um, is it the there's nothing in the quarter hours? I mean, I'm not gonna pull them up right now, but there's nothing in the quarter hours that was like, wow, there's this big no. spike. I mean, it's only a one hour show anyway. But um, Rampage is up in, in February <laughs> in, in one episode here against the February of last year. But it is, you know, we we are finally getting to the point where like, you know, Rampage, which debuted in August 2021, uh, has basically been sequentially down since that point. Um, but is now starting to do a little bit better than it did last year, at least for one week. Uh, but there was, was an impressive rating on, on the Rampage scale.
0: Could Rampage become the number two show in the next six months? No, we're getting, because... We're getting very close here between these two. There and was not, not a whole lot of the distance between Collision and Rampage this week.
2: Yeah, we have not been giving enough attention to the fact that, hey, we're out of college. You know, college football season. Collision should be doing better, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, even up this week, Collision was at four hundred ninety-eight thousand point yeah. one five. Yeah, but we're looking at that today as a good Collision number. Yeah. I think that does kind of show you where things are. This was their best audience since October, highest mm-hmm. demo of the year. Um, clearly, Esfinge has turned into an American sensation. Yes, opening up Ooh. Collision, <laughs> Star Junior, Esfinge. They uh they opened up uh, Collision, and then we had uh, Tomohiro Ishii, huge draw in the main event as well. And then Raw on Monday night, a 1,747,000 viewers, 0.56, first on cable and beating out a pair of college basketball games that were airing back-to-back against Raw on ESPN. So, I mean, and, a, a little down from the previous two weeks, but I mean, still,
2: you know, kind of in in line with in in line with what they're going to be doing. Yeah. And I, and I can tell you in, in quarter hours that I will be uh, oh, yeah. posting for subscribers we haven't seen quarters yet. Uh, soon after we're done recording here. The the Cody, the Cody and Seth live promo had no ad breaks in it. Um, it was the only quarter hour that had no ad breaks in it. But it did go over two million viewers. So, and what did this show average as a whole? By the way, one point seven something um, 1, 747 Yeah. So th- this it was a it was a big spike. Had the benefit of of no uh, ads in it, but big spike for for that segment and the the YouTube views for 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 the Raw show. I mean, reflect that as well in terms of that that segment having a lot of interest in it.
0: So there you go. All of your your ratings notes overall uh, a pretty strong week for for both WWE and AEW. So we will see what what Dynamite uh, draws tonight as they are in I don't know where they are tonight. They're they're in some oh they're in uh, they're in uh, Cedar Park, Texas tonight. HEB right. Arena or Center or whatever it's called. That's right. Have you been looking at all at the WrestleMania? events that week do
2: you know what you're gonna be doing in Philadelphia when you go down no I, I I'm uh I, I need to get with John Ceno and, and ask him what I should uh what to to, to give me a, a path for the weekend
0: well you can go to postwrestling.com slash mania for a whole schedule of all the events as curated by one John Ceno all of the events that are going down from stardom to Josh Barnett's blood sport to a Jeff Hardy concert all of these and more happening WrestleMania week in Philadelphia. And New are, Jersey. are you in charge of this? Because your email is listed here. I am listed here. I will disclose John Ceno uh, did all the heavy lifting here of uh, calling this together. I mean, when you have that cage match uh, connection, you, you reach out if there are. I take all the errors. Uh, so if if there's anything in there which there is not, uh, you can you can send me your updates. I've already got some updates from people. So they track us down. But that's all what it what is happening. It it's not like the craziest uh WrestleMania week schedule. I feel we hit the peak a few years ago where it just seemed mm-hmm. like it was 800 shows every single day. It's and what would you say that with the peak was 2019
2: pre pandemic year.
0: I think in New York, certainly that that first Dallas show in 2016, I remember there was just a insane schedule. But then, yeah, 2019, I would say was maybe where they built up the highest. Um, and then you is there as again. much of an
2: appetite for the for the indie shows as there was, say, pre AW before AW took a lot of the talent up.
0: I think it's I think it's a bit less. This year it will be very interesting. Like Spring Break has already sold out and i think spring break had kind of felt as though it had passed its its real big peak but uh, there's a lot of demand for it you can see they're getting very creative with with their matchmaking um i wouldn't say we're at like 2018 2019 levels like pre AEW as a whole like there's there's going to be your winners and losers mania week like there's some shows that will just die and there's others like a spring break that's sold out that like G- the collective has several sellouts already i think stardom is almost sold out if not completely sold out and that's without even a match announcement as well so it's like most mania weeks where i think the the unique the unique shows are going to do well where you have the most curiosity or seeing a product like
2: stardom that you're not going to have too many opportunities to see live right i am renting a car i think i think that is in the the travel plan so it sounds like i will am i renting a car no i think i'm gonna rely on public transit. i could rent one though
0: the only thing i am guaranteed to see so far as the mark hitchcock memorial super show that i'm going to on the thursday night and the rest is all up in the air i tried to me and way are just looking at this like what what are we going to hit do I you think, think we'll,
2: going in on friday or something thursday or friday
0: do you think you will go to nxt and wrestlemania on the
2: saturday or are you just going to do wrestlemania i don't know i i'm definitely going to go to wrestlemania i have both nights i guess but Yeah, I don't know if I'll... It's a lot of wrestling in one day. I'm not making any decisions at this point.
0: This is... You've got to make your... This will be (laughs) the big reveal. Brandon Thurston's WrestleMania week schedule that you can unveil here. We'll do a whole episode dedicated to it. Uh, But there you have it, everyone. We are going to wrap things up. Again, thank you to Tim Marchman for joining us. Brandon is going to be back this Sunday. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for all of the latest news. What is going on in the industry? If you have questions, Brandon's got answers Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, which I found Brandon's commentary over new Japan, new beginning in Osaka, a perfect mix uh, at times. If you want to uh just have Brandon's voice over a five on five dog pound cage match, perfect Sunday morning viewing and listening.
2: That's quite a choice. And, and later tonight, you can watch rewind away. Rewind a what's it called? Rewind is rewind a dynamite. I watch it That's every it. week. I don't know the name of it. That's um, okay. Tonight, How's that gonna be?
0: 10 Eastern, we'll talk about Dynamite from the HEB Center with Daniel Garcia against Adam Copeland, mm-hmm. Buffalo versus Ontario, the latest battle, so tune into that, and then on uh, Thursday, up at postwrestlingcafe.com, Wayne and I will be doing a mailbag show, going through all of your questions, we have two months worth of questions, so... If you want to check in with that, we will be going through all of your questions on Thursday. So that is it for us. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and we'll speak with you next week.